Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays, and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Josh is the CEO of Duncan Twice Company, which has been building yo-yos since 1929. In the interview, Josh shares his journey of transitioning to diverse industries, from digital media to textiles and now to Twice. He emphasizes the power of open-mindedness, blending old and new, and how adapting to change is vital for growth. He underscores that effective leadership involves asking the right questions rather than having all the answers, and the importance of empathy, understanding each individual's motivations, and then connecting with the team as a whole. Hey, Josh, welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Why don't you start by sharing a bit about who you are and what is it that keeps you busy these days? Absolutely. So it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm currently the president and CEO of Duncan Toys Company, and it's one of the world's oldest and most recognized toy brands. You might be familiar with it. It's founded in 1929, and most people know us for our line of yo-yo products. So Duncan made the name there, but we're currently a full line toys. So we have outdoor toys, water toys, brain games, and obviously the yo-yos. So the brand has a very strong awareness among various generations. Mm. Exciting part is that we now have a patented yo-yo technology where we have sensors built into a yo-yo prototype. And that allows the user to have the speed, RPM, and relative location of the yo-yo to the hand and ground tracked and expressed into a gaming environment. So we're looking to take the one of the most popular toys of all time and bring it to the most popular platform right now for our demographic, and that's mobile gaming. So mm. we're excited about commercializing that and continuing the, to grow the hard goods business at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So you would be leading this new transformation and growth phase in the future, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's this joint initiative between the hard goods legacy business and the future gaming business. And we felt it was very important to keep those 
two lines of business cohesive under the same brand, given the, the strength of the brand and the customer list that we can eventually bring over to the gaming side of the business. We'll be going out looking for a strategic gaming partner in the next six to eight months to raise some funds, help commercialize this and bring that expertise to the project. So we see the hard goods business being very attractive to them in terms of capturing Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So that's anyone up to 12 to 14 year olds. And we know that's important for gaming companies. And, and that's the demographic that we engage on a daily basis with more than 4 million yo-yo sold per year and other toys. And every one of those touch points gives us an opportunity to bring someone into this gaming environment. And the really cool thing is that this helps people learn how to use a yo-yo. So one of the challenges there is that there's a learning curve. So you pick up a yo-yo the first handful of times, and there's really not a reward on that, that effort. So this is going to help people get over that learning curve and have real-time feedback in terms of what they're doing, how they can improve and hopefully shorten that learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. And talking of learning curves, right? I want to talk about your own start into Duncan, right? Because you come in with a fresh perspective and how was that, right? Because a traditional organization can also sometimes be a bit rigid or inflexible and how was that and how does that journey continue to unfold? What is it that you are learning new and how are you like taking what we said, right? Taking the business forward. Sure. I've been very lucky on the two transitions I've had in my career coming to companies. They were very different in terms of the category, the structure and how they operate. So I was coming from a digital media business, went to a large textile business at Standard Textile and now coming into Duncan Toys. And I think the success really depends on the existing team there. And yes, there's existing process and they're used to doing things a certain way. But in both instances, there's been a really strong sense of open-mindedness and blending the old with the new. So it's very rarely have I ever encountered someone saying, this is how we've always done it. So mm. certainly tried and true process, but everyone is flexible and willing to make adjustments to take things to the next level. So everyone knows that in order to grow, you have to step outside of your comfort zone and step outside of what you're doing day to day, or else you're going to have the same results. So that's just a mindset that I was able to encounter in both instances and just the existing teams in both of those experiences have been great in terms of getting me up to speed. So going from digital media to textiles and then textiles to toys, literally knowing nothing about the supply chain or the market and just having someone on my current team, he oversees the brand. His name's Mike Burke. He's been there for 27 years, and he has been huge in terms of shortening my learning curve and understanding Duncan and where it's been. And I think any leader who steps into a role, if they don't respect the past and the history of a company and how it got to where it is, they're not going to be able to grow effectively. And the individuals they're working with, they're going to be really disengaged if everything they've worked hard on is not really respected. And I think stepping in any role like this, the foundation and what's been built to date is just as important as anything you plan to do mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And as you talk about these transitions, right, digital media to textile and then to twice, I think this is also a bit like off the beaten path, right? Because yeah. maybe digital media to internet, e-commerce, that's what you would expect. So can you share what has been those guiding principles or like what has been the motivation behind you to make these changes? Yeah. Yeah. I think any role, any industry success is going to depend on how well you get the people around you motivated and all working in the same direction. Obviously the products are different. The consumers are different, but 
in any instance, it's really been about us working together in a cohesive manner, having a clear strategy, well-defined goals that we're working towards. And again, that's rooted in where the company's already been, and then some best practices about where things can be in the future. And then the other thing is really any business that has a customer base, it's all about engaging with that user group. So understanding what they're really looking for, diving down into the pain points that they're trying to solve. And, you know, there's a methodology called jobs to be done. And we learned about this at Standard Textile, went through a course, and it's really forgetting product solutions up front and getting very close to your customer, potential customer and understanding what they're trying to do. Because a lot of people jump to, this is our product and we're going to push it on people without truly understanding the problem that's trying to be solved. So if you can peel those layers back and for a second, forget about product, forget about what's currently being produced and understanding your customer, their needs and what they're really trying to solve. And then working in collaboration with your team to, to set those goals and have ever moving in the same direction. Those would be the guiding principles I'd recommend. Yeah. Yeah. And what has been some of those key learnings have you have, as you have shifted, not just companies, but also industries in, in many cases. Yeah. How, and I think one more thing important, which is how have you changed as a leader because of that? Yeah, I think I'll start with that second question. How have I changed as a leader? I think one of the misconceptions, and it's something that I always was intimidated about, is that I thought leaders always had the answer. They came to the table saying, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. But in reality, a good leader doesn't have all the answers. They know what questions to ask, and they know what the questions are to be answered. I think that's a growth mindset approach that I've learned over the years. And it's not about proving, I know this, and this is why we're going to do it. It's Uh, being willing to say, I don't know what these are the things we need to understand to be good at this and understanding that we can get to that point. We can answer those questions and we don't need to know it right now, but we need to know how to best service our customer to do that. You know, specific examples of what I've learned through this process at Standard Textile, we had specific learning of not having the answer, but thinking we did it first. We were very heavy into the vacation rental market and we produced products for vacation rental owners, Airbnb hosts, large property management companies. And we had been producing these luxurious, beautiful towels that gave the guests a great experience once they used them. And then we started to interact with some of the actual vacation rental owners and they, we got feedback on our towels. They said, these are great, but I would never be willing to purchase a high quality towel for my property because I'm throwing them away almost on a weekly basis. And what we learned is that their pain point was actually guests using the towels for washing their cars as doormats to wipe their dog's paws and pet-friendly properties. And their real issue was staining, and it had nothing to do with the, the luxurious experience. The key learning there was that if we were able to produce a product that had stain-release properties so that they didn't have to throw the towels out, that would be something that solved their problem, whereas we had previously believe that we are producing these beautiful, comfortable towels. And that was their problem. Getting down to the customer level and understanding what they need and realizing you don't have all the answers to the keys that I've learned over the years. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful example. But I think that will also lead me to my next question, right? That how do you build that level of empathy or listening in for your employees who are actually on the forefront of or like closest to the customer? When it is too easy to get pressurized by like your own targets, like your own 
like everybody has a goal or something to move towards that. And sometimes it can be too easy to get caught up in that and just ignore the person in front of you. So how, yeah. to, how have you built that empathy or that listening for the people who are actually closest to the customer so that you can get those signals that you want? Yeah, I truly believe that the majority of leadership comes down to being a human, not a statistician or someone who's running a P&L. If you can't have that empathy and that connection with the team you're working alongside, it, the numbers don't matter. You're not going to achieve them. Whether it's leading a team or negotiating with someone, if you don't have a, a strong foundation in knowledge of the person on the other side of the table or on your side of the table, it's not going to work because you can have process and you can have goals. But understanding what makes people tick is really the ingredient to helping people reach those goals. There could be something happening at home. It could be a personal life struggle understanding what motivates someone. And the challenging thing is it's different from person to person. Um, but if you don't understand how that fits into the individual and how those individuals fit into the overall initiative, the numbers don't matter because you're not going to have a core group inspired to reach those numbers. And I don't know necessarily how I developed it. I can tell you that I had great leaders growing up and I saw it from that side of the equation. When I was playing football, I had coaches who they understood who I was, what made me tick and customized how they were coaching me to get the most out of me. And then early in my career, I had great leaders to set that example. So I'd say that's probably the biggest way of seeing someone who does it right and gets the most out of you. And then someone who might be just obsessed with the numbers and pointing at a whiteboard over and not understanding why people aren't achieving the goals. So experiencing that growing up and then early in my career you start to see what works and what doesn't. And then there's just, I mentioned a human side of it. It's something I want to do. I want to connect with the individuals I'm working with. And whether it's someone who's currently at the same company as me or someone I've worked with, I stay in touch with almost everyone that I've worked with over the 18 or 19 years of my career. And, you know, I unofficially call it a coworker alumni network where, you know, on a personal basis, we check in with one another, we meet up. And we continue to share and exchange ideas and they've all gone on to other roles. And but Stack Media, we were a startup media company and we had individuals who went on to NBC Sports and moving on to these much larger companies and staying in touch with them. You get to learn through them and see what they're experiencing at these larger companies and bigger roles. And who knows? I mean, I've definitely reunited with former coworkers to to work on projects again. And it's rewarding on the personal side to maintain those connections. And then professionally, it's great as well as you continue learning from one another. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a wonderful example of like staying connected, but also being there for people. And as you said, being very human rather yeah. than being a CEO or a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And so earlier you mentioned about like leading Duncan twice towards a new, like something new for the future and merging what has been traditional towards what is new or what is trending in the industry. What sort of challenges do you see for your organization to adapt to this change? Because I think this will also require a shift in the narrative of how people see you, right? How your customers see you and what they do not see you as and that which you will start to off, start offering now. So yeah. Can you share what challenges does it present apart from the products, the technology, the partnerships, what challenges does it present to the organization? Service. And I think all of the elements we have working for us, so the strong brand name, the 90 plus years of brand awareness and the 
customer engagement and recognition of the quality of our products. You know, for all of those things that are called tailwinds, there's definitely going to be some headwinds mm -hmm. in terms of entering a whole new market. So we don't develop technology. We don't develop games. We don't know much about bringing those to market. So I think that's where the structure of what we're trying to do uh, comes into play. And that's why we're not just going out to raise capital to commercialize this. We're going out to bring in an expert who we can rely on and bring them into the mix to incentivize them on the back end, obviously, but we want to rely on their their engineering uh, expertise and everything else to fill in those gaps. It's that perfect synergy where we bring the concept, the patented IP, the brand name, the millions of customers and touch points to potentially bring new customers into the mix. And then technical sides and the gaps in knowledge is that's where our the expert that we'll be bringing in as an equity partner will help us out. So we're well aware of those limitations and that's why we're going out to, to bring in a partner like that. So it's exciting. It's daunting. I think bringing those elements into a whole new market, which is one of the fastest growing markets out there, mobile gaming is mm -hmm. exciting. But as, and as you just mentioned, we, we need some support along the way. And I think recognizing that upfront is going to help us. Yeah. Yeah. And what is the vision that you have for the future, right? If you zoom out maybe three to five years into the future, how do you want to see yourself or position yourself in the market? Yeah, I see on the hard goods business, I see us growing tremendously internationally. So that hasn't been a, an area of focus. And it's something that we're, even in the first seven months, we've made <clears throat> tremendous progress. So we'll be partnering with a key partner there to take our distribution overseas in earnest. On the direct-to-consumer side, we're not selling much now, so we're revamping the website and we'll be relaunching that in the coming weeks. And hopefully three to five years down the line, we have a robust direct-to-consumer line of business that's 25 to 30% of our total hard goods sale. sales. Right now, it's largely Walmart, Target, and other mass retail. And then obviously on the gaming side, we want to have a, a large feature set of products and games and market. We want to be engaging millions of customers on a monthly basis, give them a reason to come back month over month. And we see that being the overwhelming majority of our revenue in the future, given the business model, potential in-game purchases for customized yo-yos and avatars, and rolling out regular games on a quarterly basis. We see that being the future of the business and probably being up to 50 to 75% of the overall business in three years from now. In short, it's a multi-market approach. So it's a, it's a very compelling business where we're able to cross-sell the different product offerings and the gaming and hard goods side to our respective customers and using every touch point on either side oh. to increase the velocity of sales on the other. So it's yeah. the same graphic. It's the same area of focus. And if we're able to do that effectively, we'll be in a really good spot yeah. in three five years. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I see multiple threads here, right? Both outside the organization, you have to focus on relationships. You have to like focus on partnerships. You have to focus on various aspects which are outside the organization and thinking of yourself as the organization itself, right? But then there are elements within the organization itself about execution, about making sure that your team is aligned, they're happy, they're moving along. So how do you manage your own like balance or energy? Because you... I'm sure you might have 100 things like taking away your attention at all times. How do you manage to make sure that you are actually dealing with both the outside and the internal stuff in a way that they don't make that so that you take care of yourself as at the same time, execution is not hampered? Yeah, 
No, that's a, that's a good question. And I can't say that I've perfected it just yet. Certainly there's times where things feel a bit overwhelming and I do have a, a good ability to shift gears well. I can, within the same day, go back and forth several times between those two sort of existences. But I think it's one of, one of the things is recognizing that you can't do it all on your own. And that was something I learned early in my career. I felt that being a good leader meant that I could do everything. But part of it is building a team of people who can do certain things better than you. Uh, that way, for example, the hard goods business is in a very good spot because of the existing team there. They're seasoned experts. So with that element, I provide that sort of guiding light and answer questions and make sure they're in a position to succeed because there's not a whole lot of heavy lifting for me to do there. There's some optimizations like opening up the international sales and direct to consumer, but largely the team is equipped to do that and stay in touch with them. And like I said, put them in a position to succeed. And then on the partnership side, that's largely unchartered right now. So it's, I'm currently doing it on my own and that's where I'll focus most of my attention knowing that I have that solid team to, to keep the existing hard goods business moving forward. So it comes down to having good team members and understanding what's realistic in terms of your own capabilities. And then just trying to balance the time as best as possible and setting realistic goals. And as you chase those, setting those intermediary steps and understanding that hmm. you know, I have this daunting six to eight month goal but I can break that out into to short-term goals. And what does that mean for me this week? And then that, that helps you feel like you're making that progress and not questioning, am I just spinning my wheels here? And you have those small short-term goals, and then you can really measure that short-term progress against it and feel good about what you're doing. Yeah, I think I heard recently that being a CEO is a team job. And that's what I think you're pointing towards. Yeah. Right. Can you also share what is it that you do maybe outside of working hours or on the weekends? So that you show up in the best shape, not just physical shape, but also mental space. They'll be able to do all of this context switching and being able to like not disintegrate or not let the stress overwhelm you. Yeah. My biggest element in my life is my family, first and foremost. They're the reason why I work hard and do everything. So that's my rock that I come back to on a regular basis. So I have, I have two boys, they're 11 and 13, and they recharge my batteries, whether I'm coaching them and baseball, flag football, watching them play sports I don't coach, or just spending quality time with them on the weekends and evenings. A lot of what we do is focused on activity. My wife and I are pretty passionate about fitness. We run, we do strength training, we sign up for different events, and it's great to see our kids following in that footsteps with athletics as well. On days that I don't get some sort of physical activity in, I can tell. I don't feel my best. I don't feel recharged, so that's my therapy and it's good for mm -hmm. the body, good for the mind and good for the soul. So between recharging with my family and training physically, those are the two things that kind of keep me going and, and keep me ready to go back to the grindstone. Thank you for adding that. I think it's so easy to like, get consumed by all the demands on your time. But sometimes it's paradoxical that by spending time away from work and actually like by running or by doing something physical or spending time with your family, you actually become more equipped or better able to handle the challenges that you're facing at work. Absolutely. And I notice if I go for a morning run, lunchtime run or evening, whenever I come back with ideas and a new perspective. So I think the solitude and just the isolation helps clear your mind, give you new perspective. 
some of the time I come up with resolutions and immediately come in the door and write something down. And I'm not trying to do that, but I think it just allows you to step away and see things differently and yeah. clears your mind. My my hour to two hours right after a difficult workout are probably my bo- most productive hours of the day. Yeah, thank you. And earlier you mentioned like how your views about leadership has shifted or evolved over a period of time. Can you share some of maybe one of those humbling moments like where you thought something and that didn't work out and it was difficult to change and then you how you learned and grew in that process? Yeah, I think. I'd say it would go back to leading the consumer division at Standard Textile. So going into an industry, I didn't know that well. And early on, I tried to hit the ground running and we had, amazingly, we had meetings with Bed Bath & Beyond, Macy's and other large retailers early on. And we were talking about potential product ideas and what we could produce for them under private label and sell our products. And we were very excited about these meetings and opportunities to go from zero to being a huge supplier for a large retailer. And I think along the way, we didn't necessarily pay attention to what the company was capable of producing, what they had produced, and where we could have potentially brought differentiation. We just quickly went to the retailers and accelerated those conversations without taking the product expertise along the way. And none of those opportunities immediately came to fruition, but I learned along the way that we could have had a better presentation. We could have adhered to what the company was already producing and just the process and technical side of production weren't necessarily taken into account. Then we had internal product people in the larger organization that we probably did not leverage the expertise of enough. And I think it was just excitement of let's get this big program off the bat. And we accelerated that without paying homage to and respecting what the company was currently doing. It goes back to immersing yourself and being willing to learn before you, you come in and try to provide an answer. Yeah. And how do you change course, right? And when you realize that you're further down the road, then you have to change course. And it's not just you. It's a lot of people who have put in their effort. How do you change course in a way that it's not like emotionally destructive or too stressful for people? How do you navigate that dynamic? Yeah, I think just clear communication. One of the, one of the challenges of leading people or working with people is long-lasting negative. So if you do something that creates friction, if you allow that to continue on, it's going to sabotage everything you do. So in that instance, it was being very transparent that we were, what we were trying to do, we now realize that this is the way we should have gone about it. And just being open and owning any sort of misstep or anything that you've overlooked and being willing to do that. I think leaders will struggle when they don't come to their team and say, we could have done this better. I take blame for this. I've seen leaders be quick to point out mistakes of others and not accept it. And honestly, even if the mistake is somewhere else within my team, I feel responsible for that. That's what I'm supposed to be putting people in the position to succeed. And if the information and direction wasn't there, a misstep was made, Owner or leaders need to own up to that. Like I said, communication, articulating that you're aware things could have been done better and in the future, they will. Yeah, absolutely. I think honest and transparent communication, especially for leaders when they like realize that something is not where it should be, is not as easy as it sounds, right? Because there is a lot at stake. There is 
many times your own view of success and failure is aligned. And to be able to do that allows others to like, just see you as a human being, as like connecting to what you shared earlier, right? Rather than just one big leader or CEO to, yep. we made a mistake, I made a mistake, we could have done something better. And that makes it easier paradoxically to actually change, to yeah. acknowledge and change. Yeah. And it also creates a culture where the team, if they feel like something's not going well, or they may have made a mistake, they're able to point it out and, and make people aware of it rather than trying to keep moving on and keep it concealed and have it snowball into something bigger. So when you have that culture of being able to say, this isn't working or I did this incorrectly, it helps nip things in the bud and everyone's more comfortable of pointing those things out and rather than trying to operate around this unrealistic standard of perfection. Absolutely. Thank you. And yeah, I'm sure we can continue talking, but we also have to wrap up. So before sure. we wrap up, anybody who is listening and who might have some questions or want to find out what is happening at your side, at Duncan's side, what is the best way for them to reach out or find out more about you? Yeah, my LinkedIn profile, pretty easy to find Josh Staff. I'm pretty active on there. I communicate and return messages quite a bit. And that's usually where a lot of new conversations start for me. And then depending on what they are, we can take them in phone and email. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Josh, for being who you are, for openly sharing like, some of those uh, humbling moments and how you have evolved as a leader and what you're trying to do now. So thank you for all of that. And as we end this, I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Yeah, it was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Somit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come, and have big dreams for the future. Please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.